0: Hello, everyone. I'm Sarah. And I'm Joanna. And we are your therapists next door.
1: Join us as we demystify therapy and destigmatize mental health.
0: Every episode, we interview a healthcare professional. It's sometimes serious, sometimes sad, most times
1: ridiculous. This week, we welcome Karen Carnabucci, who works as a teacher and trainer of psychodrama and other experiential therapies.
0: Welcome, everyone, to Therapists Next Door, the podcast that shows you the human side of your friendly neighborhood healthcare worker. We do this by interviewing someone in a helping profession or a helping profession adjacent field, asking questions that you want the answers to and answering questions you didn't know you had.
1: Mm. I'm Joanna, a board certified music therapist and a licensed professional counselor in the state of Pennsylvania. I'm a white, straight, cisgendered female, and my pronouns are she, hers. And I recently went to a candy store for the first time in like 15 years. Uh, and I bought a bunch of candy.
0: Like a dedicated to candy yeah. store.
1: It was a can- it was a candy store in Reading Terminal Market. And I had walked by there because I had gotten an egg and cheese inside of a pretzel. And it's like right next mm-hmm. to the egg and cheese inside of a pretzel place. And uh, I said to my husband, can we please go to the candy store after we're done with breakfast? Um And uh, I got a bunch of candy. Most of it chocolate peanut butter base. But, oh my gosh, our favorite. That's a great (laughs)
0: Philly story. I wanted to get the egg and cheese and a pretzel.
1: The egg and cheese and a pretzel is really good. (laughs) Um, Yeah. (laughs) I would highly recommend it if you come to Reading Terminal Market in the morning. If you go, and we woke up early enough on Saturday to go in the morning um, because it gets very busy there and uh, as someone who has like a wider berth I was like I don't want to be there when there's a lot of people bumping and and uh, <laughs> you know walking around so uh, I was really and we also got cinnamon buns and I ate all of them uh, three of them it was a pack of three pack of six that's why I ate three <laughs> sorry <laughs> I don't know why that tickled me yeah <laughs>
0: but what great candy, candy store yeah. if
1: you want to if you need to go to candy store go there
0: yeah and always as always you know philly tourists or even folks that are just don't live in the city reading terminal is essential hit it up hit it's it so up. Especially good they should be going to the convention center for something you really have no excuse the atm fees are like five dollars but
1: oh dude. my gosh don't like i i went to a, i went to a conference once or it was a it was like a yeah i guess a conference for board games um and people there, I, I got to the end of the Monopoly. I No, not Monopoly. Sorry. Oh, Scrabble. Yeah. Scrabble. I got to the, I got to like the finals of the Scrabble um, competition and people were talking about going to get lunch just like in the convention center. I was like, why would you, why would you do that? We're literally you could just Did like they answer. They didn't. I was like that. No, it didn't yeah so Hi, Tisha. yeah, if you, Excellent yeah candy store. yep also if you, uh, you I, know yeah <laughs> go ahead.
0: and i'm sarah <laughs> an lpc from pennsylvania transplant from south jersey i am a cishat white woman and my pronouns are she her and i oh okay i am down to only one beauty product that i buy in the pharmacy all of them are now made by me or made that's by exciting. plastic and trash free or trash free what reality is that plastic free uh, distributors and I'm really excited about it and uh yeah I feel proud and I'm not you know I have some part of me that's like stop bragging uh stop you know No, this is not don't like stop bragging everybody well we're right and I well I know because <laughs> <laughs> part of me is also like not everybody has time to do this not everybody has Whatever, whatever, whatever. I'm just very proud of that because my goal for this year is to live more sustainably and um, uh, take care of my body, not treat my body like it's a problem to solve. Beautiful. I thing. love. Thanks. That. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Um, so obviously, today yeah. is emotional, Joanna. I think we're, I think we're both feeling it for yeah. different and the same reasons. Um, for
1: our listeners, it's we're recording this on Tuesday, May third. Um, So there was some news last night uh, that, well, it was the first time ever that a judgment from the Supreme Court was leaked, which is a pretty big deal in and of itself. But the leak was that um, most likely Roe v. Wade is going to be overturned, uh, which as as a pregnant person, I have become more pro-choice in the last couple of months. And I cannot imagine forcing people to go through what I have gone through. I'm going through it for my family and for my future child. But if I wasn't, you know, on board with that, I I can't imagine what it would be like.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and keeping in mind Planned Parenthood versus Casey as well, who was yeah. a former governor of Pennsylvania, <laughs> shout out. Um mm-hmm. So, I, you know, obviously, And Joan, I told you this before we started, but my husband and I just had a very emotional morning kind of trying to sit with this and, you know, teaching him how to keep space for me just as the female in our partnership, but also like allowing him to just, you know, as his own experiences as a heterosexual man. Um, So we were both like having a lot of feelings today and a lot of teaching him how to, I'm repeating myself, but a lot of teaching him how to make space and a lot of, really just understanding that multiple things can exist at once, right? We can have our we can have our desire to be and live in a certain way. and we can also understand that not everybody is going to have access to that because I mean, especially in October or was it November of 2021 with everything happening in Texas as well, a lot of light being shown on the inaccessibility of abortion already. It is mm. legal, but it is not accessible for everyone mainly because our healthcare costs money and because America, United States of America does not have public transportation everywhere. (laughs) So people literally cannot make it to facilities or they cannot pay for it or they're unable to take time off of work. Um, So, and obviously anything relating to reproductive rights going out the window is not in favor of the people and it is not honoring the people and it's only to further an agenda and it's very painful that's yeah <laughs> I, mean. I agree so i guess making space for us to kind of you know grieve and be angry and also figure out what we can do
1: yeah so um, as in my in my late night reddit looking when I found out last night uh I had stumbled upon some really great resources unfortunately can't find them this morning but um I will hopefully find them or find other great resources that I will put on the episode note for this Mm -hmm. and for the rest of our podcasts uh, that we publish Um, because it's it's really important for people to be able to access those things um,
0: yeah. Can we say a couple of those? We know we're going to have them on the website. Can we say yeah. some off the cuff?
1: Yeah. So there's, um, there's a subreddit called auntie network, um, that if you are required, if you, if you, um, need help, whether it's monetarily, whether it's transportation, um, I think even emotional help, um, you can go to the, that subreddit to ask for help. And there are people there who will help you. Um, Planned Parenthood is also another great resource. The other thing is to be careful of organizations that say they're crisis pregnancy, um, but are pushing um, religious agendas.
0: Yes, and also reporting those. Um, If you are unfortunate enough to stumble upon them, uh, report them. And maybe even find we can find a resource on where to report that as well.
1: Yeah, I, I believe that John Oliver did a whole segment on crisis pre- pregnancy centers. <sighs> nice. um, so we can okay. put that uh, as well. Again, this is me yeah. remembering from like 1130 last night. So uh, <laughs>
0: yeah, well, thank you for try thank you for thank you for getting all of that. I appreciate you providing that to our to our listeners and check to see if your state
1: has um has a trigger law which um many states do i know michigan does uh, i think ohio does which is the state next to our state that if roe v wade is overturned it automatically uh it automatically makes abortion legal and illegal in those states um Mm -hmm. so we can also post a list of that and texas as well it goes without saying
0: yeah Yeah, so I mean, with that, just let yourself feel these things, reach out to people that you know, you're not going to need to explain yourself to, you can just kind of sit with and be loved and be held. Um, You don't need to, uh, activism is very important, but you do not need to do that today. I know we're not, y'all aren't listening to this the day after (laughs) it happens. So let your, activism is also part of like allowing yourself to grieve and allowing yourself to feel and um, yeah, don't burn out we are here for you
1: yeah i think that was our i think that was our housekeeping for today Um. yeah yeah yeah, i'm set set. (laughs) yes uh so stay tuned after the break as we go through our lesson for today
0: And now it's time for our lesson. The lesson is compiled facts describing history and or current events, good and bad, in order to give context for the field our guest works in. Oh my gosh. Today's sources include A Brief History of Psychodrama from Birmingham Institute of Psychodrama, psychologytoday.com, wikipedia.org, American ooh. Society of Group Psychotherapy and Psychodrama, ooh, Carl Whitaker, Home home.wordpress.com. Someone has a whole blog dedicated to Great. Carl Whitaker. No trigger warnings today, so enjoy. Let's start, Joanna, with the history of psychodrama. Let's start
1: right there. Yeah. All
0: right, we'll start right there. Drop a pin. <laughs> the, mecha- <laughs> the method of psychodrama was created by Romanian-born psychiatrist Dr. Jacob Levy Moreno, born in 1889, passed away in 1974, and further developed in collaboration with his wife, Zerka Moreno, who was a Dutch-born American psychotherapist who lived in Virginia until her death in 2016. Well... Psychodrama mm-hmm. I don't know why I reacted that way. <laughs> All right. Psychodrama was the first recognized method of group psychotherapy and is practiced in more than 100 countries. Can we just take a moment to talk about how wild that is, especially in our last episode, we were talking about, um, Joanna, you wanting to get back into groups and both of our experiences yeah. with group therapy. So we're looking at the the beginnings here. It has contributed ideas and techniques used in many other forms of psychotherapy. The founder Moreno has developed, uh, the excuse me, Moreno also developed related methods and concepts such as sociodrama, which is a dramatic play in which several individuals act out assigned roles for the purpose of studying and remedying problems in group or collective relationships, spontaneity, role play, group psychotherapy, uh, sociometry, and the principle of the encounter or the authentic willingness to engage others directly and in deeply consider their viewpoints. I I mean all of these words that we just use, you know, in our day-to-day are from psychodrama, which is so, so neat. Awesome. Many later developments in interactive improvisational theater, applied drama, and forms of therapy such as gestalt and self-help groups have their origins in the ideas and work of Moreno. Psychodrama developed from Moreno's interest in philosophy, mysticism and theater, and his observations of group interactions and relationships. Moreno was among the first to recognize the healing power of a group, including the importance of self-help groups, where each person becomes the healing agent of the other, without any special training or knowledge other than their own experience. Moreno mm-hmm.
1: mm-hmm. later coined the phrase group psychotherapy to recognize this particular form of treatment. Moreno left Europe for the United States in 1925. With emigration, he brought his interest in working with children, spontaneous theater, which is the process of playing unrehearsed, improvised parts in the theater, and psychotherapy treatment with the use of theater principles. He was also very interested in the study of relationships and groups, dating back to his work at a World War I refugee camp in Mittendorf, Austria. He continued to refine his sociometric studies, or study of relationships in groups, at the Hudson State Training School for Girls in Hudson, New York. In the late 1930s, Moreno established Beacon Hospital in Beacon, New York. It was an alternative hospital with a therapeutic theater. It's amazing. Shortly after, mm-hmm. he met Zerka Toman, who he mar- whom he married in 1949. In 1942 he founded the american society of group psychotherapy and psychodrama the first group therapy organization which continues today jl moreno died in 1974 and group psychotherapy psychodrama and sociometry have continued to grow and expand as he predicted after his death Zerka continued to travel throughout the world to teach and demonstrate psychodrama she was especially noted for bringing psychodrama to interested clinicians and educators in Asia, including China, Taiwan, and Japan. Zerka wrote and conducted training sessions from her home in Virginia in her later years. Zerka's collected writings entitled The Quintessential Zerka were edited by uh, hortfatine et al. and published by Routledge. Psychotherapy was established in the UK primarily via two routes, The 1970s former students of Moreno, Dean and Doreen Eleftheri, traveled periodically from the USA to Europe and trained a number of practitioners, including Jenny Biancardi of the UK's Northern School of Psychodrama. Around this time, Marcia Karp traveled from the USA and in 1974, created with her partner, Ken Sprague, not the bodybuilder, the Howell Psychodrama Center in North Devon. The center thrived for more than 25 years and was where Marcy and Ken trained many of the first generation UK psychodramatists and trainers.
0: I thought the name Ken Sprague looked familiar. So I looked him (laughs) up and it was familiar, but not for his work. All right, Joanna, now we're going to talk about the history of experiential family therapy. And we're just going to talk about some of the big players um, and kind of like a timeline. All right. First, we're going to talk about Carl Whitaker a leading theorist of an unconventional approach governed by the belief that active involvement by the members, by the family members is the best way to create change within families and encourages flexibility in a family system. So what a a concept to be bringing to the table. Whitaker grew up in upstate New York on a dairy farm. He went to medical school and was in residency for obstetrics, obstetrics and gynecology. Eventually changing to psychiatry due to an intrigue with the psychotic mind. (laughs) While working at the University of Louisville College of Medicine, Whitaker became the chair of the Department of Psychiatry at Emory University from 1946 to 1955. Encouraged by increasing pressure from the department to take on a psychoanalytic framework, which we talked about in one of our previous history lessons, how a lot of people working in psychology and psychiatry felt pressured to take on uh, psychoanalysis. Um, Whitaker and his colleagues Thomas Malone, John Weritan, and Richard Felder resigned and developed the Atlantic Psychiatric Clinic. Experiential therapy was established through this partnership. And in 1980, Whitaker traveled to share his experiences and knowledge at workshops and conventions.
1: Whitaker used his experiences, personality traits, intuitivism, symbolism, spontaneity, and creativity to help family members become more vulnerable, essentially allowing them to be themselves. He was a theorist of great renown and one of the first to do family therapy during this time. Whitaker believed the catalyst for change within families was experience rather than education. So here's some big players in the experiential family therapy field. Virginia Satir, a leading psychotherapist with experiential family therapy. Um, She has nurtured in a field of abstract thought and strategy and believed communication and freedom in a family would create change. Her warm and genuine spirit afforded her great appeal as she traveled the country in conducting demonstrations and workshops. Leslie Greenberg and Susan Johnson developed emotionally focused couples therapy, and Richard Schwartz developed internal family systems therapy.
0: Amazing. Joanna, I'm so excited because this is another episode where our guest is a cited source in our history That's lesson. So exciting. So we have Woo! An awesome big player here. We're very excited.
1: Yeah. And we'll stay tuned after the break for our interview. Welcome back. Karen Carnabucci, MSS, LCSW, TEP, has a lot of letters after her name. She's a licensed clinical social worker and a nationally board-certified trainer, educator, and practitioner in psychodrama, sociometry, and group psychotherapy, and the founder of the Lancaster School of Psychodrama and Experiential Psychotherapies in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. She also practices and teaches family and systemic constellations and most recently was a part of the team organizing the 2022 National Conference of the American Society of Group Psychotherapy and Psychodrama. Professionally, she enjoys mentoring younger, helping, and healing professionals and passing on knowledge she has learned from her own mentors and teachers. She's also a career changer, author, tarot teacher, gardener, and yard sale and thrifting enthusiast and is interested in creativity and cute cat videos. Welcome, Karen. Hi. So great to have you. I love cute cat videos
2: as well. That's what I do when I need a little break from everything (laughs) else that I'm doing. Yes,
1: absolutely. It's the only way I can like interact with cats because I'm allergic to them. So I can Mm -hmm. only see them from afar or take allergy medicine (laughs) to see them up close. (laughs)
0: Loving from afar is important. Mm-hmm. So, Karen, we're so happy to have you with us. Can you tell us a little bit about the work you do?
2: Well, my work has uh, evolved from psychotherapy, although I do still do a little bit of psychotherapy. But it's evolved through the years, and now what I'm mainly doing is teaching and supervising and training, uh, mostly in psychodrama, which we've been talking about, um, but also in other methods, experiential methods, including um, Family and Systemic Constellations, which is a newer healing process coming out of Germany. By newer, I mean about in the last 30 or so years. Mm. And um, and then I mix it up with a little bit of tarot. And I do experiential classes on teaching people how to write, because lots of people are interested in writing, writing what they know, and trying to figure out how to get, get it out into the world. Um, probably some other things
0: too. Those are the main ones, I believe. That's, that's so, thank you, thank you. I, I love to hear also about just training what Joanne had read in your intro, just about helping young professionals heal too. Um, there's so much that we can carry through education and into um, the beginning of our careers. And if it's not managed well, or if we don't have good mentors, it can be very difficult, definitely. Can you talk a little more about incorporating tarot into your work? I've been hearing so much about that recently.
2: There's been a resurgence in tarot, which has been really very cool to see. Um, I was interested in tarot way many years ago, I think probably as a college student, um, maybe even high school, I'm not exactly sure. Uh, And for a long time, I just used the tarot cards for myself. And, uh, you know, use it as a tool for growth, for trying to understand the world around me, trying to understand the world inside of me. And then eventually, um, people started to say, I will take you out to lunch if you do a tarot reading for me. And I realized there was a maybe a market <laughs> for yeah. the skill uh, besides just doing it for myself. Um, mm-hmm. And that was... Uh, that was a long time ago, even before I became a therapist, I was using and working with the tarot. Um, as I've had training in a number of things, including psychodrama, including constellation work, I've really melded the two uh, where we use it as a, again, still as a tool on how to uh, work with ourselves, but. Now, perhaps in a more formed way. So, for instance, um, in some of the groups I do, we might pick a card. Uh, after a little bit of meditation or after some warm up of some kind, we might pick a card. And then we look at the card, we're with the card. I don't so much always do the traditional meaning, um, but then we might take the position, for instance, of one or more of the figures in the card. Um, which would be called, in the world of psychodrama, called concretization. And then out of taking that posture, whatever the posture is, I seem to have gotten caught on something there in my chair. Um, Whatever the posture is that we might be taking that's replicating the image that we see in the card, we work with that and we evolve it to the next step, to the next step, to the next step, making it into a process, and see what where we are on the other side of it as we work with uh, that image. I think images are so important. That's one of the main ways that I do it. Uh, with groups, uh, I often like to use, not always, but like to use um, tarot cards. If people are willing, and I never, ever, ever use them. If they're not willing, if they don't like them, if they're scared of them, I don't use them. Then I would use an oracle, a set of oracle decks. I have many decks or I might even use pictures cut out of a magazine, or I might Mm. use um, I save greeting cards, you know, the really nice greeting cards, um, look at the image, and then, you know, again, play with it, be with it, talk about it, how does it relate to me? It's a wonderful way to begin a group.
0: That's incredible. And the one piece that's really standing out to me is also just like letting the body sit in positions, you know, we We have a couple of approved positions sitting like we sit in a car, sitting like we sit in a desk, sitting like we're standing like we do when we're cooking. It's it's nice to let people have that, not just play, but also just let your body take different forms that the purpose is for healing, not really for productivity or achieving something. It's really that's really neat. Can you clarify what constellation work is?
2: Uh, So when we speak of constellation work, we're typically speaking of family or systemic constellations. It was a process developed by Bert Hellinger, a family therapist in Germany. He has since died. He died a couple of years ago. Um, I I call it a process because really he did not consider it a therapy. It's very innovative. Uh, Some similarities to psychodrama, yet some differences. Uh, It's experiential, so basically we're working with experiential family systems. And um, we're looking to notice the flow of the energy within a family group, whatever that family group is, whether it is an ancestral group, whether it's our family of origin, whether it's the the group that we grew up with, whether it's the, the group that we are part of now in whatever gender that means. Um, and so we're not so much interested in the social dynamics, air quotes. Uh, we're interested in the flow of energy and how energy moves from person to person to person, where sometimes that energy is blocked. I then think of it as the, the bl- block of the energy that is called love, not so much in the sentimental Valentine's Day kind of love that we talk about, but a different kind of love that is the energy of life. And um, so we look to find ways to unblock that energy um, through not so much talking uh, or the cognitive way. It is not a cognitive way of working as much as it's a feeling way of working. It's very body oriented. So mm-hmm. we work to, for instance, if we were working in a group, you, I, some other group members, I might reposition some people who were acting as representatives for family members or other relationships, literally repossess, reposition those people in other places in the room, literally moving them. And then notice if they're repositioning is helpful sometimes there's healing sentences um, but we work to find an arrangement of the family system literally an arrangement that works i want to say better that's not exactly the right word is more harmonious for everyone involved Mm.
0: yeah that makes me think of and i want to be careful with this because
2: i don't want (laughs) to Make couples
0: and families feel strange when they walk into a therapy office, but you know how what we can read from how everybody is in relation to each other, where everybody chooses to sit, um, the posture they choose to hold what what they have power to hold um, and you and you kind of changing it up and giving people different options and even empowering them to sit and hold themselves in a different way that's that's really neat
2: well, my colleague was famous for asking couples, and it's a complicated method, and there's lots of ways of doing it, uh, so this mm-hmm. is certainly not the only way, and, and sometimes even holding the framework in your head is very helpful, and if you'll mm-hmm. let me, I'll talk about ancestral uh, trauma, too, but he, my my colleague was very famous for just asking the couples to switch positions, so if one was on the right and one was on the left, he'd just ask them to switch <laughs> the opposite way, yeah. and um and sometimes that made an amazing difference um, to simply being in another place um, in itself. You know, the, the couple may have started laughing or giggling or what have you um, because something was different about that energy pattern that was shifted after having been mm-hmm. so entrenched. And it, and there's more than that too. Um, in the In the work of constellations, we look at, intergenerational trauma and how it passes down through the generations. It's a newly popular topic, I think, in certain mm-hmm. circles. And, um, and then we look at how to heal and dissolve that trauma in the current generation. I find it I, amazingly amazing. Yes. It's wonderful.
0: That's, that's a, oh, so happy that you brought that up. Yeah. Hearing about ancestral and intergenerational trauma is yes, you're right. They are like big buzzwords right now. And we're talking about them a lot. And especially with, um, you know, talking CRT in our culture, like really recognizing trauma passed down from slavery, trauma passed down from other groups that have been impressed. So I would love it if you feel comfortable, you know, kind of sharing with us your your studies on that and your thoughts on that and how it's presented for you.
2: Mm-hmm. So there's, there's, Ancestral family trauma, meaning that something happened in our ancestral line, and sometimes it's more than one something, sometimes it's many somethings, that created a family trauma, a family system trauma. Um, could be war, could be famine. Well, see here now I'm stepping into collective trauma. So could be, I'll stay with just the family for a minute. So, in a family trauma, it might be, oh, it might be, you know, a child drowning, you know, 100 years ago. um, And that death and that tragedy was never fully processed or resolved by that family. So, that as generations come forward, the next generation, the next generation, in some way, a future generation. Is impacted by that long ago event. Mm -hmm. Um, It could be, you know, as I said, a a death, a tragic death of a child. It could be one partner um, abandoning another. It could be so many things, really, so many things. And then there's another level, the one that you just spoke of, a collective trauma. Mm -hmm. And so you know, large groups of people, large groups of people, uh, countries, nations, cultures, that have been impacted by a trauma way bigger, way bigger. So there are, yes, then there's enslavement, you know, enslavement of a whole culture or country, uh, genocide, um, uh, war, We would count war as one of those kinds of collective traumas and all the things connected with war, you know, refugees and um, immigration in many cases. I think maybe in most cases, even in cases where people want to move to another country, not refugees, still becomes um, a family and even a Uh, collective trauma and so we find that these experiences these experiences literally held in the body impact people and in the cases collective trauma I truly believe impact society and society of function so when you know when you talk about CRT and you know there's this huge thing about it right now um, mm-hmm. my take on it, and, and I would say, you know, others of those who are very interested in generational trauma, is that many times we don't want to look. It's really painful to look. It's very painful to look. So although some people might, might want to put it down into some kind of, you know, intellectual exercise about something, let's ban that books. It's Mm -hmm. really about, in my view, it's really about not wanting to look at incredible tragedy and pain, Mm -hmm. refusing to look in fact. And of course, um, what I have learned is when we refuse to look at generational trauma, we're in significant pain. It causes pain in itself.
0: Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for breaking down the differences too, between collective and intergenerational and familial. I mean, it's, I know, you know, bringing it back to CRT, I, there are reasons for not looking at it, you know, from, from the pain perspective and also like how it can be so overwhelming and how other groups don't want to acknowledge it because then that would mean it exists and it, and it happened and these things, um, and you know getting into like a reparation discussion too i mean like what what can help and what does help and what would help yeah that's yeah if you know for listeners just encouraging you to think about that and i mean do your own research with it but intergenerational and collective and familial trauma are they are being discussed more now but that's just because we know more about it now obviously it has always been it's always been something that's existed um so yeah do you do your research thanks for that karen um, yeah
2: if i could add one more thing and you know please. sometimes i don't do the formal classic constellations as Bert helen taught um sometimes i'm just holding the concepts in my head uh there's a concept there's there's philosophy Um, There's also intuition and knowing or knowing and um, taking in from the field, as we call it, the energetic field. But one thing that everyone can do, every therapist or healing person can do, healing professional can do, is to understand more about history. That's key. That's key. I mean, literally learning about history. Um, starting, of course, with our own, our own personal histories. You know, mm-hmm. where does my family come from? Um, from which country did my family originate? Um, what were the traumas that were present? Um, and again, they can be personal traumas uh, particular to that um, that lineage, but also collective trauma. Um, you know, in so my ancestors come from Sicily the little island off the coast of Italy. And there was a famine there. There was an earthquake there. Um, mm-hmm. People were very poor, very poor. Um, and so, you know, yes, uh, those, these things then end up impacting us in one way or another. Mm-hmm. Again, apart from our, uh, the, the personal traumas within the family
1: itself. So yeah. learning history
2: becomes really super important.
1: And going beyond the history you learned in school, um, because sometimes that wasn't taught correctly, or, or it had a you know um, a lens on it that maybe you know uh, Disney. Yeah, um, I I for some reason am reading the whole history of England uh, for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> They're really good books, but um, but just you know the drama of of religious persecution and how that's felt today from hundreds of almost thousands of years ago and how that like even the books that we use for religious services how yeah it's um it's helped open my eyes to like how and obviously this is like a very small you know part of our our collective history but uh it's just learn (laughs) i guess is what i'm saying (laughs) Yeah, yeah,
0: Joe. I mean, to deviate a little, I was reading just like, again, for some reason, the origin (laughs) of like the Germanic language. Cause I, you know, as I'm with this journey of learning Spanish, which is just like becoming longer every day, obviously. Uh, Yeah, but it's just, I mean, like the how Anglo Saxon was two groups and became one. And then like, that's what we consider, that's what we consider, you know, England now. I don't know, it's, yes. Yeah, so history, very important in your own personal and also the, the history of the, you know likely many different countries you're coming from your origins are from.
2: Or if you're not coming from any country and maybe, mm-hmm. you know, your um, ancestors are indigenous to this mm-hmm. country. And um, there are, you know, stories to tell. There are stories of strength and there are also stories of pain.
0: There's a lot of cool work being done on the West Coast right now with recognition of indigenous land and um, voluntary taxes to help buy back a lot of land. I think in like central California or was it Oregon or something that's that's being done to kind of like these very minimal slow reparations that are happening and i think it's a very cool piece of our history right now that's happening um so i'm glad you i'm glad you brought that up
1: karen can you tell us a little bit about psychodrama and how you you train for psychodrama uh
2: yes i love talking about psychodrama so when you say how i trained or how people can get training
1: or how you are a trainer for psychodrama
2: how i am a trainer for psychodrama well, I became a trainer because I took many, 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 many hours <laughs> of psychodrama training. Um, and um, I afford, uh, before that, of course, I was a practitioner, a certified practitioner. There is a credentialing board in place that if people wish to be credentialed in psychodrama, and some people choose not to go that route, they simply want to learn the skills uh, to integrate into their practices, whatever their practices are. Could be psychotherapy, could be coaching. Um, There's a group of attorneys that are very involved in psychodrama as well. So So it's not necessarily just the uh, therapeutic fields. Um, Educators are also very involved um, in psychodrama for teaching and experiential learning and so forth. So um, if people choose to become credentialed, there is uh, a certified practitioner um, credential, that um, there is a training schedule, there is a training requirement, or actually a number of training requirements in terms of hours of training, in terms of supervision, in terms of running groups, and actually using the, the method. Um, eventually, you know, refining and refining your skills and your abilities. And then eventually we take two tests. One is an actual written test, and it's an essay test on key philosophies, methodologies, and so forth. And then the second test is actually what is called an on-site test, meaning that I get to demonstrate to someone actually running a group, um, having someone watch me I run a group. I use the method. I use the the particular skills that I have learned and I demonstrate that I can actually apply the philosophy and method and so forth in actual real life, moment to moment to moment. Uh, Sometimes we lappingly call that the bachelor's degree when you get that certified practitioner uh, (laughs) credential. And then if you choose, uh, and I did choose this route, I chose to get the second credential, which is called a TEP, Trainer, Educator, and Practitioner, in Psychodrama, Sociometry, and Group Psychotherapy. Um, There's more training. um, And then eventually, once again, one takes the test, a written test, and then a on-site test to demonstrate that I have the ability and the competence to actually teach the method. to others who are interested in it. One of the good news, uh, pieces of good news is that actually there's a lot of younger people interested in learning the method. So that makes me very happy because I'm getting older. So when younger people are interested in something that I love, I get really happy about it. Um, And then some people choose, as I said, not to get credentialed, they just want to learn enough to be able to use it uh, properly in their work. And that's fine.
1: That's fine. They have other goals about other things as well. But it's so cool that that exists. Yeah. I, yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I think that uh, Bessel van der Kolk has used that in his work as well. Um, I don't remember the name of the place in Boston where he worked. Uh, but mm-hmm. psychodrama with uh, teens who come from neighborhoods with gun violence, uh, like really, really cool results. Um, so the reach that it has.
2: Yeah, he was actually years and years ago, he was actually a, a keynote speaker at um, one of our conferences. And mm-hmm. he has taken an interest in psychodrama. He's also taken interest in, in yoga and, and other kinds of experiential models. Um, I think he's doing something really valuable in terms of, as we spoke about earlier, the body, you know, mm-hmm. traditional conventional talk therapy is about this part of us. Actually, it's really about this part of us, yeah. you know, the, the left brain cognitive part of us, which is fine. I'm never, ever going to criticize uh, traditional talk therapy. It's very valuable for people. You know, you get to find your story. You get to tell your story. You get to hear empathy uh, from another human being who's, you know, um, listening. Um, You get to understand yourself better. Uh, You get to notice your thoughts. But many people find that there's a limit then to the value of traditional talk therapy. Um, There's a limit. And then they can get discouraged. They can get... um, They can feel... I think probably, you know, sadly, sometimes they can get um, depressed or, um, uh, you know, feeling like, well, I must not be very savable or I must not be doing it right Mm -hmm. or whatever. Um, But psychodrama, which again is, is a method more so than a therapy. Um, So I use the word psychodrama therapy when I'm talking specifically about therapy, it allows us to experience and learn and integrate, really integrate so much more into our whole being, rather than just into that left brain part. And so it's a much more complete level of change um, that also can be fun, you know, um, because we can laugh. We can laugh, we can um, experiment with new behaviors, uh, we can experiment with new roles. It's, it's, um, what I really love about psychodrome, it's non-pathologizing. So rather than pasting a diagnosis on someone, we talk more about roles. You know, okay, we've been playing this role for a very long time, and this role is not very functional for us or it's self-defeating, or for one reason or another, it does not serve us. However, we can learn new roles and we can integrate new roles into our being, into ourselves, into our way we are in the world. And we rehearse them, you know, So, so to use theatrical language, and this is one of Marina's brilliances, we can, we can use and improvise and practice and rehearse ways of being that change us and they change us deeply. And this is really important. Yeah, so. I,
0: I'm, I'm, I, uh, I got a thought. I'm thinking about like <laughs> one of the, the many outcomes of like a puritanical based culture is that we have this big disconnection from our body because our body, you know, in puritanical thinking, our body is wanting us to do something bad. Um, And like how, you know, that, 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 like those, (sighs) the energy you're talking about. And I mean, even in yoga too, like the prana, the life force, how disconnected we can be from our body because we, our body is deserving of punishing Um, and how much we miss out on that. I mean, obviously, obviously, desire and pleasure are not something we need to run away from. but it's not just desire and pleasure we're missing out on its connection and it's um, even the physical and emotional sensation that come from being next to somebody, um, especially if there's someone in, we're in a system with
2: mm-hmm.
0: is my thought.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of value to that thought about mm-hmm. um, yeah we are in our Western culture we're typically removed from our body and uh and therefore healing is limited healing is limited Mm -hmm. Um, or if we do attend to our body it's through preps massage um which is very valuable Mm -hmm. as well i i I love massages i I get body (laughs) work yeah Um, but yes, to integrate, you know, and that's to me the value of of a method like psychodrama. We are integrating talk, we're integrating body, we're integrating action, movement. Uh, Some people, um, I'm one of those, some people, we use props, so we might use scarves, or we might use other kinds of things. I do use also some small objects. Um, I'm a big sand tray person as well, and I've adapted my my sand tray to look more like psychodrama and constellations as well. Cause I mix things up. Right. Yeah. Um, and it looks
0: like those. And for the listener, those, these are like small, just human figures.
2: I know they're beautiful. All,
0: all different shapes and sizes and colors. That's really neat.
2: That's so cool. I have a really large collection at my brick and mortar office, which I'm not using at present, mm. um, uh, but uh, these are the small ones that I use here for teletherapy. Mm-hmm. Um, I just have a few here sitting next to me, which is why I was able to take them just from just That's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. If, you, if
0: you feel comfortable sharing a photo of that with us, uh, we could definitely share that too for, for listeners. And I oh. also just love to see them. More. Yeah. They're, they're very pleasant to look at. Yeah.
1: yeah. Absolutely. yeah I, I'm Instantly made me calm. Yeah.
2: Cool. Um, I'm very visual. I'm very visual, and I'm a believer in the visual. I'll make a note, but I'll send you yeah. um, a photo or two. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. I, as a as an experiential learner, I appreciate that. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know our senses. You know how do we how do we attend to our senses? So if it's visual, if it's color, if it's something to touch, if it's fabric, you know. And this is long. You know, Moreno was. He didn't use so many props, he was more into imagination. But those of us who come later, some of us are more into props. But yes, the the sensory piece, you know, so which is you know gaining gaining talk and ground and discussion about uh you know multi-sensory things, you know. Um, but yes, you know, to to learn in every possible way and to have experiences, um, to have good experiences. We know that trauma. Trauma is an experience, right? So it's an experience that changes us, but it changes us in a painful, difficult way, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Our brain, our nervous system, the way we think, the way we feel about ourselves and on and on and on. But we also know because of neurobiology that other experiences can change us even more. So then we look at how do we in psychodrama um how do we create experiences that actually are healing or integrating or restoring um so they're we're going to get changing our nervous system yet one more time you know nervous system is not stuck it's plastic it's movable it's it's changeable so we look at creating experiences that change us so if you look at my little wooden dolls here and they're painted in pretty colors right you know they're very pretty, and I I do think they're very attractive. They are, right? <laughs> they really are. But yeah, we're seeing them you know, again. <laughs> something happens inside of us that feels good, and mm-hmm. you know, great, great about that. Even if it's just something I, like,
0: little. I, and I love that we're that you're like really driving that point home because I think a lot of people with trauma are just convinced that they are now. You know, on board for a life of their body, just having very intense reactions to things and letting people know that that there it is malleable. You know, you can make changes to it. Um, it it's just a kind thing to do.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
1: It really reminded me also of um, like a a DBT uh, intervention that I created when I was going through my DBT training. That's like a almost like a a box that had that uses all of the five senses you you put things in the box you put things around the box You put things on the box that it's almost like this kit um that can have music in it or can you know just to use all of your five senses because that's one of the big dbt interventions is is you know self-soothing with the five senses six senses because the six is movement um and and it's just so interesting how all of these things integrate and I've also been mulling over the thought of intuition in the role, like therapists using intuition as their role as the therapist and how, how I think important it was like being trained as a music therapist and having improvisation be kind of a core of that and how much that helps me with traditional psychotherapy and and just being able to move and change and okay let's try this let's try that and and really being in the moment as a therapist it's so important
2: absolutely i you have said it very well i could not agree with you more and um and yes uh to really refine our intuition not that i'm perfect at it by any means believe me there are times in my flunk intuition (laughs) but yes you know in the best possible circumstances we are able to tune in on a unseen level to other information that we don't
0: consciously know. Yeah. That's very cool. Yeah, I'm thinking about even trusting that too, right? Cuz I think sometimes people can get attuned to that and they can feel like, oh, something's you know, what's wrong with me? Like why am I why am I picking up on something? When really, you know, you actually have your intuitive. I mean, it's actually a skill that we can skill and sometimes just a natural ability. Yeah, just having a lot of thoughts today. I know. Yeah, I mean, there's like so many
1: things that we don't consciously realize that we're picking up about people, and I think like honing it, and because sometimes it can feel like mystical almost, but it's like no, that this is this is information that your brain is getting, um, and so it's important to ha- be able to you know, be improvisational, tap into that intuition, because we're human beings working with human beings. So, you know, even if we come from vastly different places, there's still a relatability that, that, you know, is beyond the verbal. I agree. I it, this also reminded me it's not the same thing but I I w- I had my um, weekly Dungeons and Dragons session last night um, and we're all kind of in a very tense situation uh, this is a role playing game um, and we're like you know about we we broke into a house and we're like maybe gonna get arrested we we got away but like the heat is on and um, myself my character and two other characters had this really beautiful discussion that was like beautiful role-playing and like we I even saw how much we opened up you know like I opened up my body to like have this discussion and it was kind of like helping one of our party members like it's okay we'll get through this together you're not alone it was just really beautiful and and everyone was very very into it so it's it's so cool that to know that like everybody has that ability to step outside of themselves and process outside of outside of the traditional roles they play uh, because I play an elf, which I'm not. Um, <laughs> <so> <laughs> um, but yeah, um, and you know, like my character has a very intense backstory, and I was able to just like really use that to like step outside of myself and have this nice discussion that I think was helpful outside of Dungeons and Dragons too. It was really cool. Mm-hmm. That,
2: that sounds like an interesting variation of psychodrama, and I know just the tiniest about bit about that game, very tiny bit about, and I think it's probably evolved uh, since I first learned of it through the years. Um, but yes, it's valuable to play the role and it's also valuable then to process mm-hmm. what it was like to play the role. And that's one of the extra benefits of, we step in, we step out. We step in, we step out. I'm in the role, I notice how it feels, I notice how I experience it. Ah, uh, I step out of the role, and I now observe it from yet another vantage point, from the vantage point of me and my experience as a human, right? And tremendous growth is available there, the stepping in and stepping out. And then it also permits us to notice how we can have this wonderful flexibility in playing a role and then stepping away from that role, playing another role, moving back and forth here and there. And Dr. Marino said in one of his writings, and I am not quoting this exactly, but he said, good mental health is the ability to change roles easily. Yeah. So when I hear you talking about Dungeons & Dragons, yes, shift and change,
1: right? Yeah. And and that also just shows the power of using these tools in therapy. Like my Dungeons & Dragons session was not for therapy. So we didn't process, okay, how did that, you know, but I, I can see how then you would go into that therapeutic process and I'm probably almost did with myself because my character is unempathetic. So it's, it's very different from myself, you know, and like, how, how do I feel being kind of this like brusque person? Um, but yeah, it's, it's, that's just so, like all these tools can be used within the therapeutic process, which is Like I keep saying cool. I think that's my word of the day, but it's amazing and beautiful as well.
0: (laughs) It's a great word. It's a good word. Yeah. Cool. I, yeah, I I think about how many clients show up wanting to be able to be more flexible and, you know, of course there's the, because we're taught to shame ourselves for not being really good at everything. There's the, like, I want to, you know, I don't want to get upset when something changes. I want to be able to go with the flow and then there you know, making room for someone and uh, like exploring maybe why why you're upset instead of first shaming yourself. And it sounds like psychodrama really taps into that, you know, this ability to have that the flexibility, which is even coming in in the experiential family therapy work too. Just like switching, not roles, but positions, just gives you a lot more empathy and a lot more to work with. And when that stuff can just like happen quickly, automatically and finger snapping, <laughs> You know, what, a, what an amazing, a valuable skill and tool that, that we can give ourselves.
2: Mm-hmm. In playing roles, you know, as Joanna just talked about, in playing roles, we get to experience other ways of being. Mm-hmm. And we know it, We there's a structure around it. We know it's just for fun. Yeah. We know that it's just in the therapist room if we're using it as, as a therapy. We, we know that, oh, there's some rules around. I'm not just out in the street, just
1: doing whatever, <laughs> right?
2: Um, but we get to experience different ways of being, different ways right. of acting, different ways of others responding to us in a safe, protected setting. There's a lot of value to that. I In my training, and I did train with Zerka Marino. Um, Years, years, years ago, uh, I was lucky to do that. Uh, Dr. Moran was long gone by the time I entered the scene. Um, I spent a lot of time playing roles for other people. And one of my very favorite roles was playing the role of a little, little toddler, a little rebellious toddler, and I would sit on the stage, and I would pull tissues out of the tissue box, and I would throw the (laughs) tissue box around, and I was just generally uncooperative. (laughs) And I really, I really
0: enjoyed it. That sounds, yeah. it sounds like that's the role I would love to step yeah. into uh-huh. <laughs> just knocking yeah. shit over. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I've
1: got a tissue box here. That's empty. I'm like ready to throw it. Honestly, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I
0: mean, it speaks to how like tightly wound we are, Ugh. you know, by, by societal bounds. Yeah. I mean, let me, let me just rip a tissue box up. I, that's sounds like it'd be incredibly therapeutic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's reminding me
1: of an art therapy intervention too, that I've, that I've heard of, of just like, there's no scissors, you're ripping paper to create a collage. Um, And obviously Mm -hmm. there's contraindications for that for sure. And that's like where the training comes in. We use intuition and training to like give the best possible treatment we can, which is just, yeah, I don't know. I'm very, I have a lot of thoughts and they're all very excited. Oh yeah.
0: (laughs) Uh, Karen, is there any, anything else? I mean, I mean, your work is vast and your work is incredible. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with us about, you know, what you've been a part of? A very oh broad my, question.
2: Yeah, it's a very broad <laughs> question. You know, I love talking about, I so thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about this because I love talking about alternatives. I love hmm. being able to let people know, um, and, you know, in the therapy setting, you know, if you're hurting, if you're in pain, if you would like something different in your world, um, there are alternatives to you. And yes, you know, traditional cognitive behavioral talk therapy is just fine. But there's lots of other alternatives, too. And, um, and uh, you know, and then if you are a teacher and you find your classes are, you know, s- snoozing, well, there are, you know, ways to bring more life and more action um, to the work that you do Um, if you are in some ways working with a group and you want the group to become more cohesive or more connected or what have you. um, There's, you know, there's sociometry which is also developed by Dr. Moreno around relationships and building relationships. So I just love giving people information that there are all alternatives available whether you train with me or don't train with me or whether you read a book or you watch a youtube video or whatever that is um it's just so very important to let people know about lots of ways of doing something lots of alternatives lots of different choices that to me is really 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 important
0: absolutely absolutely oh. I just feel very satisfied by this interview. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Um, Are there any resources you feel like it's important for our listeners to know about?
2: Well, um, there is the asgpp.org website, which is the membership organization, ASGPP, American Society of Groups, Psychotherapy and Psychodrama.org, which is the membership organization. A conference is sponsored every year. Uh, Last two years, it has been online. Next year, we're hoping to return to in-person conferences. And that will be most likely in the spring of 2023. I believe that um, Newark, New Jersey is very likely the, um, the location of our next conference. It's a great chance to get introduced to lots of different ways of working and lots of different disciplines. Using psychodrama and group skills and sociometry and so forth, um, there is another website called psychodramacertification.org that um, that gives a list of credentialed um, psychodramatists, literally throughout the country and some internationally, um, that are qualified to either do this process or to Um, train in it and of course there are others who have taken quite a bit of training but for one reason or another have chosen not to get certified Um, Mm -hmm. so those are really good places to start there's lots of great YouTube videos um, available Um, I have a YouTube channel Um, I actually have two but one is more current and I have some of my own videos but I have also uh, linked to some many wonderful videos People are welcome to contact me if they're you know, really interested in finding those resources. Um, it's a, It's been around for a very long time. Uh, we celebrated our 101st anniversary this year, believe it or not. But recently, there's been an interesting resurgence. Because as we learn more about neurobiology, as we learn more about the body, um, mm-hmm. as we learn more about the value of integrating the body, and as people are looking for alternatives, Uh, there's been a resurgence, which has been really very cool
0: to see. It seems like there are a lot of very beneficial things that are coming back now or that are like, as you had mentioned, there's a resurgence. That's, that's wonderful.
1: All right. Now it's time for our, would you rather question? Um, This there is a, now would you rather before the, would you rather? So would you rather a question that's meant more for teens or um, for everybody?
2: Uh, I guess I can't get both. (laughs) Surprise me.
1: Okay. Would you rather tell your biggest secret or walk in your underwear all day at school? (laughs) This was the one meant for teens. (laughs) (laughs)
2: That's a great one for teens. Yeah. Yeah, and that would be a great one for a warm up for a group, a great, <laughs> one for, a great one for psychodrama to act out um, or not. Um, yeah. Uh, do I have to answer that question?
1: Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you can also pick nothing. and and refuse to answer. Yeah, I I think I've
0: only picked one, like one time because these questions always infuriate me, but I know my answer this time.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. So if I brought myself back to high school years, not the year that I am now, but if I brought myself back to high school years, but could bring myself with the wisdom that I've gained since that time, which has been considerable lately, because I was a hugely shy, awkward teenager. I would probably tell my biggest secret. Would you like to hear it? Or if not?
0: Your biggest secret? Yeah. Oh, only if you want to share
2: it. Yeah. At the time I was a teenager. Yeah. My, oh, mother, sure. had, my mother had mental illness. And I was just terrified that anybody might find out. Um, I mean now of course it's on my website in my bio yeah. but at the time that I was a teenager I was just you know wanted to be the classic all American picket fence mm. family and uh, knew of no other kinds of families that might exist or problems that might exist um, yeah so now yeah. I can talk about yeah. it easily it's part of my life Sometimes other people
0: know that knowing that. Well, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. The the normal quote unquote uh, life that high school students like really like um, yearn for. I mean, that's currency, right? Mm -hmm. That's something that can Mm -hmm. uh, can make us feel carried definitely. Um, Yeah, underwear, (laughs) definitely underwear. (laughs) Uh, You can see my secrets in that way because I'll be wearing (laughs) my underwear. Um, not much to hide <laughs> but you can see it that way I also yeah I mean I always like to think like when I'm walking down the street covered in sweats with sunglasses on and a hoodie up and I'm getting like explicit things yelled at me I wonder what would be yelled if I was just walking nude um, and that would be an opportunity to <laughs> explore that a little bit <laughs> Joanna what about you?
1: I think if I would, if I was a teen, it would definitely be tell your biggest secret. Cause I was also quite shy as, as a teenager. Now it would be walk my underwear all day. Cause it's like, mm-hmm. I also wear very loud underwear, um, which I feel like is a secret for me. <laughs> I don't know mm-hmm. if people would peg me as a loud underwear wearer, but, um, <laughs> they do. That's all I got. Yeah, it was a problem yesterday when it was showing through my uh (laughs) my pants so I just put on a shirt that goes over it and that's it excellent yeah
0: uh Karen it was such a wonderful treat having you on the show thank you so much for joining us
2: thank
1: you yeah this this was such an illuminating conversation and it's made me so excited
0: Yes. We will share your resources and we look forward to learning more about this stuff on our own too. So thank you for that. Thank you for listening to the show. Be sure to subscribe, rate and review us on Stitcher, Spotify, and Apple podcasts. You can check us out on Instagram at Pod on Twitter at Pod One one is oh. in the number one. Or visit our website, website <laughs> at TNDPodcast.com. <laughs>
1: Uh, you can also visit us at Patreon.com/TNDPodcast. We've got bonus episodes. You can vote mm-hmm. on what we talk about on our bonus episodes. You can decide what we talk. You can do so much more. I, I'm losing my train of thought. Um, but but head on over to our Patreon at Patreon.com/TNDPodcast. You can also get the uh, the the history lesson or lesson um, PDF that for that day. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really cool. And uh, if you would like to be on the show, you can, um, you can always send us an email, but there is a link on our Instagram to a, a potential to a, a Google. There's a link in the link tree to a podcast application that would just send it right to us. Um, if you also just like want to say something to us, you can send us an email at therapists next door at gmail.com. That's therapist plural next door at gmail.com. Sarah, is there anything you'd like to plug?
0: That was beautiful. I want to plug. I want to plug time. No, I want to plug my website ther- tele- mm, teletherapy with Sarah.com. Um, <laughs> bi-weekly blog posts for <laughs> the mindful millennial recovering from uh, internalized capitalism. Um, what else? I'm going to be on a podcast in August. What? It's a long time for now, but it's mountain practice journeys. Uh, so look out for that. That will be in a bio link somewhere. Uh, Instagram, Teletherapy with Sarah. Coaching for the exploited therapists and therapy for, as I said, millennials. Uh, working class and professional awesome. millennials. Yeah, Joanna, any any pluggy-duggies
1: for you? Yeah, you can check me out at uh, dot com. I'm not taking any new clients right now because my maternity leave is imminent. Um, but uh, come fall, I will be opening back up and also you know, exploring groups. So if that's something you're interested in and you... Yeah. Are in Pennsylvania? Uh, come on, come on in. I guess I don't, I don't know. I what
0: don't I mean it. It. Yeah. Until next time,
1: we, we are yours. Your th- therapist next therapist door. Therapist next door. Yes. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>